We uh, took up last time talking about how the body fits together and is edified or built up in love. We talked uh, repeatedly about the subject of love. And now we come to the latter part of Ephesians chapter 4, and we want to look at that. And again, we're going to just take our time here. Uh, verse 18, or 17 and 18, talks about, again, the church being mainly Gentile, that warning the Ephesians not to follow the ways of their culture or ancestors. And, of course, if you understand anything about that, at that time that would be considered part of the Grecian culture. And the Grecian culture at that time was one of humanism, uh, philosophy. Uh, they lacked any basic knowledge of God. Uh, what they did believe in was multiplicity of gods, many gods, and those gods were very human, human in form. They argued, they hated, they lusted, they committed atrocious acts. Not at all like the biblical truth of how God is. So we understand that, and Paul is mentioning to them that they should not have that vanity of mind like their cohorts. Uh, this I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And, and the Greeks were great thinkers. Don't get me wrong. They were very knowledgeable people. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance of that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And the, although the Grecians knew a lot about philosophy and mathematics and different issues, of very educated people, they were very ignorant when it came to the idea of God. As a matter of fact, just to cross-reference this, you might want to turn over sometime to Acts chapter 17, where, Mars, uh, where Paul confronts the philosophers at Mars Hill and tells them basically that they're very ignorant of God. Uh, it said, God whom you ignorantly worship. They had uh, put all these statues to gods, and they said, we might have forgotten one. And they put one to the unknown God. And Paul said to the unknown God, him you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. Uh, because that was the true, the true God. The one they forgot was the true God, the true living God. And he goes on to tell them, this God doesn't, isn't in a statue, doesn't dwell in temples, but is the living and true God of the universe. So with all the knowledge, and of course, you might want to also cross-reference that with 1 Corinthians 1, where the wisdom of the world, they knew not God, talking about, their, again, their wisdom, uh, that all this philosophy, all this thinking, and all this cultural advancement did not bring them to a knowledge of God. They could not know, and this kind of encapsulates everything and the whole idea. You cannot know God through our humanity, and through our own thinking. The only way you can know God is through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God. And so it, it, you can't just you know, learn and arrive one day at a knowledge of God. That doesn't work that way. You have to, it has to be revealed through faith. Who being past feeling, verse 9, having in themselves over unto lasciviousness, and another thing, they were a very immoral society, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. 
But you notice here it says, you have not so learned Christ. Again, learning. And the experience of the believers there at Ephesus is this is not what Christ is about. Christ is not about satisfying your selfish desires. Serving Christ is about laying aside selfishness, willfulness, egotism, and serving the Lord. So you have not so learned Christ. Christ, faith in Christ, is so different. And I hate people to refer to our faith as a religion. A religion throws us in there with every category of of belief in the world. And we are not a religion. We're, first of all, what differentiates Christianity is we are we have faith in a person. I don't have faith in a denomination. You say, well, you're Southern Baptist. Well, yes, that's the denomination I serve in. But my faith is not in the Southern Baptist denomination. My faith is not in the Presbyterian Church. My faith is not in even the Baptist covenant. My faith is in, Je- is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We, we, our faith is based on a person. And as the atheist said, if we're the only faith in the world that claims to be started by God, and if we are the faith, then if we're true, if Jesus is true, then we need to be worshipped. We need to worship Him. And so it's true. We, we do claim our claim is, our origin is God. So that's interesting. But you've not so learned Christ. Christ is totally different from the culture of that time. And by the way, in our culture today, I can say that Christ is totally different from our culture today. It would have been a little hard to say that in 1950, but not today. Yeah, our culture has definitely made a turn in a different direction. If so be that you have heard him, you've been taught by him as tr- as the truth in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation, and the word conversation there means manner of life, that your former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And I want to talk just a moment about the old and, and new nature. And it calls our old nature that we are born with, the old man. And it will refer to our new birth, a lot of times as the new man. We have, actually, as Christians, two natures within us, and it's obvious to us. There's a part of us that wants to serve God. There's a part of us that wants to know God. There's a part of us that wants to love God. Then there's a part of us that that pulls in a different direction, and it wants to do what the flesh wants. And that's the flesh and the spirit. That's the old man and the new. That's the two dual natures that we live with. Now, that won't always be the case. When you die, you're going to leave the sin nature behind. You're going to live, leave the old man of the flesh here on earth. And then you will have a new body in heaven, and it's one not made like this one. It'll be likened to this one, but not quite the same. So we understand that we have a dual nature. That's important. I think it's important for new believers to understand, and I've had this myth. As a matter of fact, this hit me as a new believer quite hard, the first time I knew consciously that I had sinned after I was saved, I thought, wow, I'm still a sinner. 
Ooh, guess what? Yeah, you are. You know, the old man didn't go away. He's still there. And he rose up and let me know, hey, I'm still there. Uh, a little slap in the face. Yes, you are. You rascal, how did you get there? And uh, we, are, we still have the old man there. And what we do as a Christian to encourage one nature or the other will determine how successful we are. If, if we do, if we're involved in the Christian faith and serving and, and studying and praying and being what we're supposed to be, really putting our heart, loving God, loving the Lord, then there's definitely going to be a difference between us than somebody who's not doing those things and just doing whatever they want to do. Then they're catering to the flesh. And there's going to be a difference and there are several delineations of Christians, I believe today. And I believe we have carnal Christians. We have carnal Christians that describes in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, that they're kind of float into church, float out of church, here sometime and there sometime. And, you know, you're not sure about their allegiances sometimes. And so there, some people take their, their Christian faith very lackadaisical. But he says, put off your former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, we talked about in Hebrews uh, Sunday how that sin is deceitful. And sin deceives us. And, we, and Paul talks about this too. He says, sin slew me. You have to be careful. Sin will sneak up on you. Your, your own self... Your own physical self will sneak up on you. And it does because it's corrupt and it's deceitful. And it, it, anything the devil peddles it, hey, the old flesh is ready for it, you know. And that's the same as anything that the spirit is fed to the spirit it wants. And so, and then here, put on your, the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Somebody used to, I heard a sermon one time by a preacher about this text. He says, what clothes will you be wearing this year? You know, and it's not about fashion, but it's about the old man. And which look do you have? Do you have the look of the old man or the new man? Do you walk after Christ or do you walk after man? And there's a lot in the Bible that talks about that. First John talks about walking in the light with the Lord. And then, again, in Corinthians, because they were involved in backsliding and sin, uh, Paul told them, you walk as men. You look like unsaved people. I can't tell the di Paul said that. I can't tell the difference in you people. Uh, if you put some, a bunch of unsaved people in here with you, you people at Corinth, I couldn't tell the difference. You all act the same. You look the same. And that's sad. I said that any believer, if you, you can't tell any difference in their life between them and an unbeliever. Now how, in the name of God, are we going to be the light and salt of the world if there is no difference between us and others? It's unsaved. It's just like, Jesus is talking about love, and we're going back to sing love and, you know, all that's going on in the world and the country. 
If we love, Jesus said this in Matthew, if, if we only love people that love us, what makes us any different than the Pharisees? He said, they do that. You know, if, if I love you and you show love to me, well, hey, we're just loving each other. You showed love to me. I loved you back. You know, that the world can do that. The world can love people that love them and adore them. And Jesus said, if that's all you're doing, and then he asked that question, what do you more than others? And Jesus was making a point. What makes you different? Of course, you know the text of what he was saying. He said, love your enemies. Listen, can you love your enemies? If you can't love your enemies, get out and pray on your knees till you can. You have to understand at the end of the day, your enemies, they may be lost, but they're people for whom Jesus loved and died, and they got souls and they're going to heaven or hell. At the end of the day, love your enemies. Pray for them. Do you pray for your Pray for your enemies. You know, if I could give any Christian advice, pray for your enemies. We're the only people that do that. I guarantee you there's not a Mohammedan over there in the Middle East praying for you as a Christian. But if we pray for them, what does that make us? More than others. That makes us more than others, folks. That's the new man. Amen? The new man. Put on the new man, which is after God. Does God love everybody? Okay, if, we, if we're going to have the nature of God, nature of Jesus, does Jesus love everybody? Yep. Are we going to love everybody? Yep. I'm like that guy on storage where, yep. We're going to love everybody. You ever see that guy? Boy, he's somebody hard to love. Come <laughs> hard to love. <laughs> Just kidding there. But uh, I, lo- I love to watch that show. Just, I kind of got burned out on it. But uh, anyway, it was a good show. Wherefore, putting away, and some things we need to put away, lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And talking about church again, we're back to that unity of the Spirit. We're one. We are members one of another. Be angry. And sin not. What did it want to say, be angry and sin not? Well, it, it, it means to be angry at sin. To be angry at your nature. To be angry at the sin nature. Be angry at, at the right things. Yeah, you, you know, it's okay to be angry at the devil, I guess, and sin. Because uh, Jesus, God hates sin. He loves you as a sinner, but does he love your sin? No, he hates your sin. So the only way we can hate is to hate the sinfulness of ourselves. And then here's the thing, verse 27, and this is very, very important. Neither give place to the devil. And that place means an opportunity. When you do some of these things, if you get angry in the wrong way, you let the sun go down on your wrath, you lie, you tell untruths about people, you have some of that old conversation, 
You, you give place to that. You give an opportunity for the devil to get into your life. And then you begin to be influenced more and do more and more things. Gossip. Very ill-advised on Sunday morning to come up to church and gossip with somebody before you enter the church building. You just brought the devil in on your shoulder. And see, that's the problem with, with giving the devil an opportunity and a place in your life. Now he's in the church. Now you just walked in and brought the devil not only into your life, but into the church's life. How about that, folks? Don't give place. If the devil is in a church, it's because somebody brought him in. Guarantee it. He didn't walk in uninvited. Somebody invited him. Might have been you. Hopefully not me. But it might have been one of us. Think about that. That would be a sad thing, wouldn't it? To know that you were the one. Let him that steal, stole, steal. This is hard to say. This is what I'm saying. Let him that stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give him to him that needeth. And here we go, verse 29. Here's a way to give the devil a place. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What's corrupt communication? Negative. Gossip. Untruth. Not, not, not encouragement. If it's not encouraging, it's not good. But that which is good to the use of edifying or encouraging, that it may minister grace to the hearers. The only thing that we as Christians should be speaking should be things that build up, edify, and encourage. Anything else is corrupt. Well, I'm not saying we can't talk about things we need to talk about. That's one thing. But if it's stuff, we're talking about people or things, folks, only with that which encourages. Only that which encourages. Speak that and no more. Because here's what happens when we don't do that. When we gossip and we talk wrongly and we give place to the devil and we lie and we, the things, because gossip eventually ends up in lies. Because when one, one person will tell one person, one person, that person. I used to say at my church community, and I love them, they were good people. But I always said, I could start off with a cold in the morning, and by the afternoon they were planning my funeral service. Uh, you know, because as it's passed along, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the end, it's just horrible. And here's what happens when we do that. Verse 30, you need to understand it. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. When we do that, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we quench the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit stops working, both in our lives and the lives of our church. We are sealed into the day of redemption. But again, we're going to go back. Now, let's go back to this thing. What's the key thing in chapter 3? 
Verse 16 and 15. Speak the truth in what? Love. And the body makes growth and building up of itself in love. And what's the problem here? Love. Because look in chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love. You begin to see a, a you begin to see a theme here. Again, and he is constantly through by means of the Holy Spirit to the Ephesian believers going back to this thing. If you love people, Jesus said you can sum up all the commandments in two: love the Lord God and love your neighbors yourself. Right? That's true. If you love God, you do all that God says and be obedient. What he follow what he says. If you love other people, you won't do things wrong to them. So if you do everything God wants you to do, and you don't hurt anybody, and you do good to other people, you've fulfilled all the law, haven't you? You've done everything God expects of you. And that's exactly what Jesus said. But when we gossip, what do we do? We hurt people. When we let corrupt communication flow out of our mouth, we are hurting people. It's one of the worst sins in the church. Uh, this is one of them. Not forgiving is another one. And we're getting two of them here in this chapter. And all of them are based on one thing, that you don't love enough. And again, we're going to go back to what was the one problem at the end of the day in the book of Revelation they did. They forgot their first love. Oh, my. After all that Paul told, taught them, after all that Paul said to them about love, at the end of the day, they forgot it. I, you say, how can that be? I don't know. But it, it, it be. It be. It is. They forgot love. And let's follow this on, this idea. Well, apparently, we're not even going to get into chapter 5 today, it looks like. Uh, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, evil speaking, gossip, be put away from you with all malice, and what are, do away with all that bitterness, all that anger, all that wrath, all that hatred, uh, malice of forethought. Do away with all of it. Gossiping. And here's what you're supposed to be, verse 32. Kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I was in Bible college my first year. And I had a fellow that I was having trouble dealing with, and, and he had done some things bad to me, and I just couldn't forgive him. And I read the parable about the two debtors. One man owed a tremendous amount, millions. He couldn't pay it. The Lord, his Lord forgave him. He went out, and then he found a guy who owed him like a small amount of money. And he didn't have it, so he began to beat him. And the master heard the story, and he said, take that man and his family, cast him into prison, you know, until he pays everything. The story is very clear. How, what, what kind of testimony, let's just put it this way. What kind of testimony... Does it say about the Christian faith 
When we say, oh, Jesus will forgive all your sins, as far as the east is from the west, all your sins, past, present, and future, He'll wipe them clean. He'll forgive you. He'll save your soul. But I can't forget one thing that John did to me over here. That's it's like your mind ought to, the top of your head ought to blow off at that point. What? What? You're saying you believe in a faith where God forgives you carte blanche for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of sins, and sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of the flesh, sins of the mind, uh, attitudes, deeds, name it. That God has forgiven you all of that. But you can't forgive one thing? Now, I don't know about you, but that would say to me, the truth of their faith is a lie. I would have to say that something's wrong. If you have that kind of faith and you can't forgive, that is an evil and poor testimony to Jesus Christ when you can't forgive. I want you to remember that. And you know, I never had a problem with it after that. I always tell the story about a guy who was a treasurer in our church and stole an enormous amount of money. And uh, I, I didn't even receive a paycheck for several months because of it. And I went to his business that he ran and prayed for him. I even prayed for his success, forgiving him. But I knew until I did it, things were not going to be right between me and Jesus. And you know what? I wanted things to be right between me and Jesus. And I forgave him. And by the way, he finally came to repentance about that issue and came to me and begged for my forgiveness. I said, you're already forgiven, brother. I forgave you a long time ago. I wasn't going to carry that around with me. And friend, if you don't forgive, you're carrying around a weight that you can't even see. It's dragging you. You talk about weight and sin, where it talks about let us lay aside every weight and sin and run the race with patience. You're carrying about weights that you, you can't even drag, that you couldn't pull with a Mini Cooper. Uh, You've got to let go. I saw something the other day, and I, I, I meant to quote it, and I can't remember it's something about forgiveness. I'll have to get it. It's really a neat, neat saying about forgiveness. But listen, forgive. Forget and be free. That's the name of a book. But if God, through Christ, forgave you everything, how can you not forgive a few things? And I've heard people say, well, Pastor, you don't know what that person did to me, what they said to me, or what they did to my wife, or whatever. And I said, it doesn't matter. The whole church had to forgive Paul. He put people to death. I don't know how Stephen's family felt, but I'm sure they had to forgive Paul. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And, you know, when people do things that hurt you, a lot of times they're doing it ignorantly. Maybe not in unbelief, but ignorantly. And uh, God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Well, I think we're going to stop right there.
and start chapter 5 next time. But it all comes down to a matter of love. And if you don't love, you don't walk in love, you don't operate in love, then the body does not do and function as it should. Let's pray together, Lord. We thank you for this time together. We ask your blessing as we go forth. We thank you for the Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen.